I'm sitting there thinking, I got to pull it together watching this video before I go preach because that is the craziest stuff. And uh, Hallie and I are, are ready to get involved with it. We're praying how God might use us uh, to be a part of, of reaching the, the families, the, the children, the adults, the parents uh, that so desperately need help and even more desperately need Christ. And uh, we can be that to them. All right, picking up in our sermon today, we are, uh, the, the sermon title is Eager for Unity, Part 2. And this week we'll be in Ephesians chapter 4 once again, but we'll be picking up in verses 4 through 16. Last week we did verses 1 through 3, and we'll, we'll review that here in a moment. But I want to remind you what it is that we are doing here. This, this eager for unity uh, is a direct quote out of uh, uh, Ephesians verse 3 there, 4, 4, 3. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And I'm telling you, and uh, what I told you last week is, I am extremely eager for unity uh, within our church. We as Christians really should have unity with all other believers, whether or not they come to this church, whether they not they're a part of this denomination or anything like that. Uh, but even more so, we should have unity within this church. And again, as I told you last week, the reason I paused Genesis, you know, we had our Christmas series and stuff, uh, but the reason I didn't come back to Genesis is because uh, sadly I've gotten a handful of reports, enough for it to be a big deal, uh, that there is disunity within our church. There's disunity within our church, and that is a big deal to me. This is uh, not just occasionally things happen uh, that, you know, aren't, aren't good. There's not an occasional conflict, because conflict isn't always bad, right? The problem is that we have ongoing disunity, and what seems like, what appears to be uh, people who are unrepentant when it is their fault that these conflicts take place. And um, again, we have this somewhat at our lower level leadership, we have this somewhat uh, within our families, between our families, I guess you'd say, and uh, within our, our different age groups, especially our youth group, we know that we have some disunity, and again, multiple reports from multiple people. And so I, uh, again, believe it is a big deal. And that's really what we talked about last week is, um, you know, it might have seemed odd that we, we didn't come back to Genesis. It might have seemed odd that we're taking the time to talk about this, and that is why I spent probably, I don't know, two-thirds of uh, last week's sermon telling you seven reasons from Ephesians why disunity is a gigantic uh, life-and-death deal, um, spiritually speaking. And I'm going to tell you what those were. I'm not going to read every passage or anything like that, uh, but, but I'm going to tell you what those seven reasons were, because again, we need to feel the tension. We need to feel our great need for God in this area. So first, of the seven reasons, just by way of review, disunity keeps us from maturing, being built up, and strengthened as believers. We'll, we'll see that a lot in today's passage even, and then again in uh, verse 29 of, of chapter 4. There's, there's this maturing that needs to take place. Christians are not made uh, to, to, to remain infants in the faith and this maturity, this growth, this, this endurance that should be there is, is hampered, I guess you'd say, by disunity. And we'll, we'll look at that again today. Second reason, this is our memory verse for this week, but disunity grieves the Holy Spirit. 
it grieves the Holy Spirit of God. Let me see here. I've got it in, in my notes what that verse is. It said, uh, the verse before was, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, uh, but only such that is good for building up as fits the occasion. Then verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We as a church are, we are not just a business. We are not just even a, an entity of knowledge. We are a spiritual group. And by definition, we need spiritual help. We need spiritual aid, and that is the Holy Spirit. But when we have disunity, we are grieving that Holy Spirit we so desperately need. Third, we see in uh, chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, that this type of disunity gives the devil an opportunity. It says, uh, give no opportunity to the devil. This is all in the, the theme of, of unity. And give no opportunity to the devil. We, we talked about this last week that, okay, well, we let Satan, you know, sort of have a foothold in our church. Uh, what's the big deal there? Well, he's the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking him who he may devour. This is a big problem, especially when we're grieving the Holy Spirit and we're not maturing to have Satan uh, having an opportunity in our church. But disunity does that according to Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verse 26 through 27. Number four, disunity in the church makes God look bad. It makes God look less glorious than he really is. Because we understand that God not only saves us, wipes our debt clean, puts our sins away from us as far as the east is from the west. He not only does that, but he changes us. He transforms us. He makes us a new creation. He says, you have been forgiven. Now you can forgive. I have bared with you. I don't know if that's the right way to say that. I have bared with you. Now you can bear with one another in love. And when we don't have this unity, it makes God look bad. To, to a watching world, to, to even one another, we say, well, maybe God really isn't that strong, or maybe God really isn't that unified if we're supposed to take on his character. Next, and kind of flowing from that, it keeps the church from growing. That would be uh, numerically um, as well as um, in strength, but it, it ruins our witness once again. To have this disunity ruins our witness. We see that uh, in Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, but we see it even more clearly, if you remember with me, in John chapter 17, Jesus in his prayer, uh, verse 23, he prays to the Father that they, that would be all believers, may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you loved me. But when we are not perfectly one, we we're not confirming the truth of what God has done. We're not confirming the truth of Christ being sent into this world uh, to pay for our sins and to give us new life. We're not confirming that we have been loved with a supernatural, unconditional love that we can now pour out on others. We ruin that witness with our disunity. Number six, disunity um, shows a lack of caring for what Christ did. Why? Because Christ died for this unity. We see that in Ephesians chapter 2. Really, we see it all through Ephesians as well as many other books. That in his death and resurrection, he was 
killing the hostility. He was breaking down the dividing wall. There in Ephesians 2, this is speaking specifically of Jews and Gentiles. You had people that, that grew up, you know, as Hebrews, as um, Israelites, and you had people who were not <laughs> Israelites, not Jews, um, and those were Gentiles, and that would be you and I for the most part. But all throughout history, there has been this tension, this animosity between Jews and Gentiles, both uh, economically and, and soci socially, uh, but also religiously. And Jesus came to knock out all of those barriers, all of that hostility, the dividing wall, which, by the way, there was a literal dividing wall within the temple that Gentiles could not pass through in their worship of God. And he's saying, I have taken out that wall if that is true between Jews and Gentiles, people who for thousands of years had been at odds with one another, shouldn't that be true among fellow Gentiles like you and I? I um, again, that would, I imagine almost all of us are, are uh, Gentiles in that sense that we're not Hebrews, um, Israelites by descent. And so it should be that much easier for us who haven't grown up with a hatred toward one another that Jesus, what he died for, that we would have this unity. So when we pursue, not pursue, but when we allow disunity, we're saying, I don't really care about what you died to purchase this unity, this one body. Number seven, this is, this is the big deal. This is kind of, you could sum up all these others here. Disunity, and we can bring it down to the most personal level, even of our church. Disunity, if we don't care about all those other things, may show that we have people who are not yet saved within our membership. If we, if we have a group of people who say, no, Christ is my master, uh, you know, I, I want us to mature. I, I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. I don't want to give an opportunity to the devil. Uh, I want us to grow. I want us to reach the nations. I want to make God look good. I, I, you know, I want to follow what Christ did, what he died for. Then, but then we say, ah, I don't really care about unity. I'm, I'm not going to worry about that it may show that we don't actually have that new heart, that we don't actually have that family likeness, that family resemblance as children of God. We see that in Ephesians 4, 15, and 16. But again, no, I'm sorry, that was, that was the wrong verse. Um, let's see, where am I at? Here we are. That was Ephesians 4, 32. It shows that, might show that we haven't actually been forgiven. But I gave you last week, and I just think it's helpful to remind you, if you read through the book of 1 John, it's just one of the more helpful books in this regard. If you read through the book of 1 John, I, I don't know, I didn't count, but I would say five or more times, it talks about how if we do not love one another, if we do not love our Christian brothers and sisters, then we do not have God. We are not born of God. We are still uh, children of the devil, it even says in 1 John. And that's very serious. That's very serious. That's very serious for me as a pastor that's supposed to be shepherding this flock. But it should mean something for you guys as well. It should put in us this little, oh, I am acting in a way that is not like a Christian. But again, there's all those seven reasons that I just wanted to remind us of why this disunity is so important. Our church's health is 100% at stake here. We can drag along in disunity for a while, but we will always be weak, and eventually, I believe, um, we would crash and burn if we just continue in disunity. I believe and very clear that God's glory being seen through you and I, through our church, 
is at stake here. That we will make God look less glorious than he really is with disunity, but that we have the opportunity to show his glory if we will listen to him and be unified. And ultimately, there are even souls at stake in how we respond to God's word for whether or not we will follow him, whether or not we will have this unity, whether or not we will have this love for one another. Again, still, still we're on a review of last week. Well, what's going on? What is it that would give us this unity? And what, what might we lack if we don't have this unity? At least, you know, some of us. I'm going to read for you again Ephesians 4 verses 1 through 3 from last week. And it sort of gives us a progression that leads to unity. So we'll see that there. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And here, here starts the, the progression. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So what we saw last week is there is a progression that leads to this unity in the Spirit and this bond of peace. Where did that progression begin? Humility. You see that at the beginning of verse 2, that we walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. Verse 2, with all humility. This, this humility sees ourselves as we really are, is what we talked about last week. We see that we are sinners, uh, that we are, are, are dead in our trespasses and sins, that we are, are in need in every single way, that we have no way out of our plight in and of ourselves. But then humility also sees God as he really is. We see this great, glorious, holy, omniscient, powerful, uh, this God that is everything, in everything, made everything. And we just, in that moment, we sort of shrivel, right? We say, I am nothing. I, I have done such terrible things. And he is so great, and we're humbled by that. But it keeps on going, this humbling. Because this great God looks down on us uh, rebels, sinners against him, and he says, you know what? I'm going to show you love. But God, with, with, with the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. That was Ephesians uh, 2, I think, 4 that says that. <clears throat> this is what God has done, and that should humble us. I was nothing God was everything, and yet he showed me love. He showed me compassion. He helped me to see the gospel, accept the gospel, and experience the gospel of grace. So, that, that, that was humility, but this humility should lead to gentleness. This is the progression. Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness. When we have that humility, we're able to be gentle with one another. And then that leads to patience with all humility and gentleness, with patience. And then that should lead to bearing with one another. We're able to bear with one another and not just bear with one another as in, okay, they exist, I exist, I'll bear with them. It actually says bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So I hope you see that that progression to this, this love, this unity, this peace in the Spirit that this bond that we would have, it all starts with humility. You see that progression there in those verses? It starts with humility. And so what we understand is if, if humility leads to unity, then disunity must come from some sort of pride in our hearts. 
We must not see ourselves as we really are. We must not see God as he really is and what he has done for us. There, at some point, there is a breakdown. At some point, there is a pride. And so this week, that's exactly where I'm going to pick up in, in our passage. So if humility is what we need, what might that look like in the church? And if, if we have this pride, what is it? Where is that breakdown happening? Now, it could happen in a lot of different places. Um, and so I, I don't want to say this is, this is the only thing. But I'm going to give you just a short answer again before we even get into our passage. I, this is a long intro. I know it'll be long. I'm still not even close to done with it. Um, here is my answer of where, where we're going today. It is possible that we, or at least some of us in this church, have a pride that says, church is about me. There, it's possible that we, have a church, that we have this pride that says, church is about me. Now, I hate to say it, we'd be following not only culture, right, that, that this is about me, I get what I can, but we'd also be fo- following kind of the stream of, of uh, the way lots of churches are going. We even have a name for it, right? Consumer churches. People that come only to receive from their churches. And maybe that's us. Maybe, maybe we uh, believe that church is about me, my wants. Now, this is going to be way more subtle than any of us would like to admit because we put a religious spin on things. Do you realize that me as your pastor, you think, okay, he's here to serve us. It would be so easy for me to be using you guys to meet my wants and my needs. It would be so easy for me to be doing that. I, I just want them to build up my ego. Well, if I preach a certain way, then, then maybe they'll tell me how great I am. And you know what? I've, I've got some authority, so if anyone tries to, you know, come up against me, I'll just squash them like a bug. I'm the pastor. It would be so easy to, to do these things. It really would. And so my point there is if I can do it at any level, we can do it within the church. You could say, oh no, I'm here to serve the church. I do this and I do this and I do this. Great. What's your motive? Why do you do this? Why do you do this when you do this? It is incredibly possible, and we'll even see this in our passage uh, here in a moment, that it is incredibly possible for us to even be, quote-unquote, serving the church, but really be serving ourselves in doing it. Is it possible that some of us, most of us, all of us, I don't know, have bought into this idea of a church that is about me rather than a church that is about Christ? my preferences. I want church to go the way I want it to go. I want everyone else to fall in line, the line that I have created, the line that I want. Is it possible we've fallen into a church that we feel is just there to serve our name, our reputation? Well, I go to Sunday school because I have all the answers and I can tell them. Maybe I even became a Sunday school teacher for that purpose so I could show people how smart I am. I'm not going to lose an argument. I'm not going to be made to look stupid. In fact, I'll make you look stupid if it'll make me look better. You see how this can cause disunity, this type of me church? I'm here to show you how great I am. I'm here to have my preferences done. You even think about, again, in subtle ways, well, I want to go to church because that's where my friends are. I want to go to church to have friends that's great. We should have friends in church. I hope you have a lot of friends. I hope you're friends with almost everyone in this room. But when you make 
friends, people that can give you friendship, the purpose of coming to church, the purpose of, of meeting together with believers, that is gonna break down. I've been to high school and friends bicker a lot. Why? Because, oh, he likes uh, this person more than me. He wants to hang out with them. It happens. And the same thing will happen to us if we make friendship, community even, our goal. I, I could go on and on here, but I, I hope you're getting the, the idea. If we are coming to church saying, how can I be served, even if it's in subtle ways, we are missing it, and it is pride. Again, we talked about this, I don't know how long ago, a month or two ago. When we're looking out for me, my wants, my desires, it will naturally cause conflict. James 4 verses 1 and 2 says this, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. That's an extreme case, but... You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. There's this idea that it's about me. If church is about me, then of course we're going to have fights because you're going to sometimes get in the way of what I want out of church. And it's all about me, so I'm going to do whatever it takes to get that. I'll protect those things at all costs. I'm going to give you a couple examples. Uh, just I was thinking and praying about this, that this stuff happened in the early church even. Uh, you can think about Galatians chapter 2. Uh, Paul talks about this. Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. You have Peter, he's called Cephas here, okay, same person, is worried about his image and his standing in the church. Okay, let's listen to this. You might recognize it, because I can't go into it too deep. It says, Paul says, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And it even goes on to say, And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. There's too much for me to explain here, but basically... Uh, Peter was in this place with a bunch of Gentiles, and he was eating with them. He was doing Christian life with them. He had unity with them. But then some people from James came, so they came from Jerusalem. Uh, th these are what are known as Judaizers, and they're starting to say, oh, you can't eat with Gentiles. That's against the, the, the Jewish law to eat with, with Gentiles. And so it, what we see here is he feared the circumcision party. He feared these people who were being made righteous, they felt like, by keeping the law. And so because he feared his reputation before them, he pulled away from the Gentiles and ate only with fellow Jews. And it actually says other people followed along with him. And so how did Paul handle that? Ah, eat with who you want to eat with. Don't worry about the unity of the church. He says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Peter was worried about his reputation. Peter was worried about his standing in the church, and he was willing to pull away from people, to have this disunity in order to have that. Peter was looking out for himself. It, in that moment, at least, it was a church of me for Peter. Another one I can think of is uh, in 1 Corinthians. These are popular verses, but I won't go too far into this. Paul is a... Uh, uh, not condemning them. He, he's trying to correct them. He's exhorting them. He's saying, you guys have this disunity. He says in 1 Corinthians 3, 4, for when one says, 
I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? I hope you guys remember this passage. Some people are saying, hey, I follow Paul. I'm in this clique that that follows Paul. And other people will say, well, well, I follow Apollos, and he's really this great teacher, and he was a good teacher according uh, to, to the Bible. But you had these people who were trying to get in these elite cliques, and they were causing disunity in the Corinthian church because of it. They wanted to belong. They wanted to be a part of not just the church, but, but these elite groups within the church. Church had become about them. You could call these the different power groups uh, that happen within church. Again, in seminary, I learn about these things. You get groups of people that they are not the pastor, they are, but they try to lead the church uh, with their power. And that's what was going on in the Corinthian church. Well, I follow Paul, so you need to, to, to listen to what I'm saying. Well, I follow Apollos. They were using these cliques to get their own way. It was the church of me. So my question would be, and this is obvious, I hope, before we get into our verses, is that the type of, Christ, the type of church Christ died to purchase? One where we have our wants and our needs, our preferences met. It is not. It is not. It is the, and as we'll see, it is the exact opposite. Now, I want to say, even before I get into this, I, I do even come to church to, uh, to, be, to, to receive from God. I, I, I do. I come to, to receive from God, uh, but it's not at the cost of other people. And that, that's a big difference. There, there is a sense in which uh, it is a, a rotation that, that God pours it out on me. And as we'll see, I use that to serve others. And when that is my focus, I have unity. So let's look at it. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 16. That was my intro. <laughs> Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 16. And I really will not be able to explain everything that's going on here. I've got to just pick and choose out of this um, the, the, the principles that, that we need to see unity here. So Ephesians 4, verse 4. <clears throat> he says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up 
in love. That's God's words. That's where, where we'll pause today. And we're going to draw out just three main principles to show us if we have this me-centered church, what it is God really wants us to have, what it is Christ really died for. But before we get to looking at those principles, just join me in prayer, please. Father God, we want to know if we have a pride that is keeping us from the unity and the plan that you have for us. God, we want this true humility for ourselves. God, we really want to see ourselves rightly. We really want to see you as you truly are. And God, we want to understand where we fit in the church. We want to understand what true church is. God, if it's not the church of me, what is it? God, if it is the church of Christ, how do I fit into that? God, would you answer all of these questions for us today for your glory and for our joy and for our unity, God? I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. So again, we, all of us, I would say at some level, need this humbling. We do. All of us need this humbling so that we can have this unity. So I'm going to give us just three main principles that I'm going to draw out from this text that should humble us, that should change the way we think about church, should change the way uh, we act when we come to church, the way we talk to others, the attitudes that we have. All right. So the first point that I want to give you, and we'll see this from verse 4. It's, it's in other places in this passage as well. But the first point I want to give you is this, okay? I am a part of the body of Christ. This is, I'm speaking for you. I'm a part of the body of Christ, and so is that other person. You get what I'm saying there? You have conflict with someone. You have disunity with someone. You can say, hey, I'm a part of the body of Christ. This is what we need to remember. I'm a part of the body of Christ, and so is that other person. Now, I'm going to explain that. We see that in verse 4. Paul just said that we need to be eager for unity in the spirit and the bond of peace. And then he comes in verse 4 and says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So Paul's sort of giving a basis, a reason for this humility that allows us to have this unity. And just focusing in on that one first part there, the first few words, there is one body. There is one body. There is one body that is so big for us. What that's talking about is we are a part of the body of Christ. If you look at the end of verse 12, just before verse 13, it says, for the building up of the body of Christ. So when it says there's one body, it's talking about the body of Christ. If you go to uh, the end of verse 15, or we can read all of verse 15, it says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. And then it says, from whom the whole body, again, talking about the body of Christ, grows, and it goes on there. But what I'm trying to get across to you is this, this one body talked about there in verse 4 is talking about the body of Christ of which Christ is the head. This is 
truly, you might take it for granted how mysterious what I just said is. You, all of us combined, not just you, not just me, not just our church even, all, all believers combined are the body of Christ. There's only one body. Again, that is incredibly mysterious. What does it mean even to be the body of Christ? We'll look at some of it. I will not exhaust the theology of, of Christ's body, uh, the church here, right here. But I just want to point out a couple things. Again, at the greatest level, the most far off level, there is not Christ's body for the Baptists. And then over here, Christ's body for the Presbyterians. There's not Christ's body on this side of Poplar Springs Road, right? And, and Christ's body that's building a church over there on the other side. It is not like that. There is one body. One body. There is no differentiation here. Now, you think about that uh, even at other levels. There, there are not separate bodies for people with certain preferences. There are not certain uh, bodies for people with different uh, personalities, we are all one body. And there's, there's so much implied there. But if you think about it, if we're all a part of one body, we were all in exactly the same boat. We, we all needed the same grace. We all needed the same forgiveness and new life. We all needed the same hope for tomorrow. We see that there, the one hope that belongs to your call. And then... Because of God's love, he made us all a part of this one saved, redeemed, changed body. We are that body. Okay, I'm going to use something Paul talks about in the next chapter in Ephesians 5, talking about marriage. He talks about how a husband and wife, how they've been made one flesh, they've been made one body. And he says this, Ephesians 5, 28. Uh, in following, he says, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. The, the parallel I want to draw out here is, okay, if, if you, if Sonny, is also a part of the body, and I'm a part of the body, that means if I hurt Sonny, I am hurting myself. I'm hurting the whole body. I'm hurting all of you, really, by hurting Sonny. Does that make sense? No one ever wants to hurt their own body, and yet we do it all the time. We beat others down. We treat them however we want, but we're all part of this same body of Christ. It makes no sense. We should think about it that way. Once again, my point was, I'm a part of the body of Christ, and so is that other person, okay? But there's another thing I want to show you or, or just think about with this body of Christ thing. I would say, uh, at, at the very least, um, one level of what this means is that we as the body of Christ, all, all believers united, are a physical manifestation of Christ to the world. You think about people say, oh, we're the hands and feet of Jesus. That's talking about we, we go and serve others. We serve the world. And, and in that way, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. We are the physical manifestation of Jesus to the world. So bring that to unity and disunity. 
if we are the physical manifestation of Christ to the world, a representative of Christ, again, as, as a community, and we have all this disunity, what is that saying to non-believers, to, to the world around us who looks at us? I, I truly, I mean, yeah, I, I have no idea how many times I have been sharing the gospel with people and one of their main reasons for, for not going to church, for hating the church, is because of the disunity. They said, I have no desire to be a part of that. I mean, seriously, I, 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 I want to say like 50% of the time I talk to people, that's the story I get. But you even think on, on another level, if, if we're the physical manifestation of Christ to a lost and dying world, are we not also a physical manifestation of Christ to one another. We are. When, when I show love to Sonny, and I'm doing that through this motivation of love uh, by the power that Christ supplies, Sonny is actually being loved by Christ. He, he's receiving a manifestation of the love and the mercy and the compassion uh, of Christ. I hope you realize that, that when you meet with your small group, that when you meet with your Sunday school, when you're talking in the hallways, that you are to be a manifestation of Christ to one another, that we get to experience Christ through one another. And so the question comes, do I want to show the world this bad representation of Christ by this disunity? Do I want to show other believers this bad representation of Christ? Is that what I'm about? I'm only hurting myself right, by, by, by this disunity, and I'm showing a bad representation of Christ because I'm a part of the body of Christ, and so is that other person. This is important. There is one body, according to Ephesians 4, verse 4. Okay, moving on. Again, it's going to be so hard for me to explain all of this just by the, the verses we have here, um, but I, I'll, I'll do my best. All right. The next point we have is, so I'm a part of the body and so are they. The next point is, I have a gifting and a place in the church and so does that other person, that other believer. I have been given gifts by Christ, uh, gifts of the Spirit, you could say, and a place in the church to exercise those gifts and so has that other person. Okay, we see this in uh, verse 7 and 8. It's pretty clear. It says, But grace was given to each one to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. That's quoting uh, Psalm 68, 18 there. But what the point here is, it's saying that, that grace was given, th th this measure of Christ's gift. But what's interesting, I want to draw your attention to this, is the first word of verse 7. It says, But... But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. That but is a, is a transition statement. Verses, uh, I guess it was four through, what verses was it? Four, yeah, four through six was talking about this unity. There's one body, one spirit, one <laughs> hope, you know, all these different things. There's, there's this unity, but here it's showing us that there, although there is a unity, there is a diversity within God's church. It says, there is this unity, 
but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. The idea there is each individual is getting uh, different gifts, different measures of those gifts. You know, some of us in this room may even have the same gifts, but we have different gifts uh, that are combined with those that give a different manifestation, different use of those gifts, different uh, levels, uh, amounts of those gifts from the Spirit. Uh, I'll just tell you, um, verse 9 and 10 are kind of a parenthesis, but it's showing how Christ gave these gifts upon his ascension uh, into heaven. And you think about then Pentecost happens and these these gifts happen. But it says there, in saying he ascended, what does it mean that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? So Christ came here, he lived, he died, he rose from the dead. But then it says, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. It's kind of giving us kind of where Jesus got the right, if you could say such a thing about God, or the right to give these gifts, and even the timing of these gifts. This is a church age uh, truth that, that all believers are given these gifts. You think about in the Old Testament, you had the Levites and the priests, uh, descendants of Aaron, and they would serve God in these uh, different ways. But he's saying here now in the church age, we're all given these gifts because Christ ascended, he died, rose from, or descended, died, rose from the dead, and then ascended back up to heaven, sends the Holy Spirit. With the Spirit come these gifts of the Spirit that we now use in the body. Now, again, things are going to get a little, I hope you can hold on with me here. So he gave these gifts, so all, all believers have gifts. Then pick up in verse 11, and... So in addition to giving everyone gifts, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Again, this is a, a whole nother sermon series on uh, how churches should work and how they, we should be equipping saints. But what I want to show you is we have the apostles and the prophets. I would put those in a separate category, okay? Jesus gave the apostles and the prophets I would say we have um, them here now, that, that the prophetic word has been written, what was uh, meant to be canonical, what was meant to be scriptural, we now have, and that's the basis from which we have the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Shepherds, by the way, is the same word as pastors. It's just however you want to uh, translate it. You have the evangelists, those who share the good news, have been specially gifted to do so. The shepherds, those who have this, this oversight over God's flock, and the teachers, those who have been gifted to teach the church God's truth and God's doctrine. Many people would say, by the way, that that's shepherds dash teachers, like that that's just um, one office, but I'm not too worried about that. So he gives everyone gifts, okay? I'm, I'm trying to make this as simple as I can uh, for our purposes. He gives every believer gifts. And then he gives the, the apostles, the prophets, which we now have in the word of God, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, for what purpose? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Then it goes on, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness 
in deceitful schemes. Okay, one more time. I'm going to break this down. He gives gifts to everyone, every single believer, every single believer, every single believer. That's you and that other person that you're in conflict with, okay? Gives, gives every single believer. Then he gives people that equip us in how to use those gifts. He gave the apostles, the prophets, uh, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And the result of that should be the end of verse 12, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. And I, I could go on there. We are all given gifts. We are all given gifts. And then God even gives leaders, these, uh, you could say specially gifted. It's not calling them elite. It's just God's grace, God's choosing uh, to give some, the, these more gifts that they are to lead the church in to help them to use their gifts for the work of ministry. What I want us to recognize here is that there is this diversity. That, that all, all believers have been brought into Christ's body for a purpose. We've all been given gifts for a purpose. And we will be different, and that is a good thing. It is a good thing that we are different. And that, that's part of what it is uh, to have unity. Um, it wouldn't be all that impressive if we had unity if we're all uniform, right? If we're all exactly the same, that's not very impressive to have unity. But when we have these differences, these different personalities, these different giftings, these different passions given to people by God to be used for the church, that is when we need this unity. But God has a purpose in it. Listen to this. It's a lengthy passage, but it kind of sums up what I'm saying. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 14 through 26. 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 26. It says, For the body, that's again talking about the body of Christ, the church. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, again, using that analogy, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? You see in this that they're different, but there's a purpose that God has. Verse 18, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. It goes on. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, uh, or, nor again to the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on these parts of the body that we think less honorable, we, dis we bestow the greater honor. And our, unpresent, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which, sorry, which our more presentable parts do not require. You think about it, with body parts, we, we, sh we treat some body parts with greater modesty, don't we? we? We treat some body parts even with greater protection. I protect my eyes a lot more than I protect my elbow uh, because it has certain weaknesses. And that's what it's talking about here. It says, But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, 
that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. God gave gifts to men, to to, to Christians, to believers. Christ did this. He gives uh, the teachers, the leaders of the church, to equip you how to use your gifts. But the point is, you are different. (laughs) You are different probably than the person sitting next to you or person sitting behind you. Uh, you're, You're different than them, and that is a good thing. We need each other. And I love how it put there, if one member suffers, all suffer together. That's talking about this body, how tightly woven we really are. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We need to remember that there will be differences, but that God has made us with those differences. Styles, opinions, preferences, these are differences that God has put in our church, in our local body, if you want to say it that way. And so again, if Christ chose us, gifts us in these certain ways, the God who created us with our personalities, by the way, and he puts us together, it is for a purpose. And so if you have different instruments, right? They're, they're different. They make different sounds, but they're not playing well together. You, you have chaos. You don't have music. But if you have these different instruments with different sounds, the highs, the lows, the piercings, the poundings, you know, the, the piercing sounds versus the, the pounding drum sounds, and if they all work together in unity, you have a song. You have a composition at that point, and that's the same thing that's supposed to happen within the church. You all have a gifting, and so does that other person that you might have quarreling with, this disunity with, and you were made to work together. You were made to work together. That's that's what I want to show you there from Ephesians 4. And there is one more point I want to draw out from this. One more point. This This is really... I hesitated even preaching the rest of that sermon because um, this, is, this is the one I really want to, to give, give us. You have been made a part of the body. You have been given gifts with a purpose, and that purpose is to build up the body. You've been made a member of this body. You, if you're a Christian here, you've been made a, a member of Christ's body. You've been given gifts with a purpose, And that purpose is always and every time to build up the body. To build up the body. Listen to what he says there in verses uh, 15 through 17. So he gets through saying how how the church is uh, built up as everyone's using their gifts. And he says, verse 15, um, rather, that's rather than following heresy, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way to him who is the head into Christ. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There's a lot there. Again, if you think this stuff is confusing in English, you should look at the Greek of this. These sentences are (laughs) super complicated, um, the the way they're constructed. And Paul is kind of known for that, for just stringing things together. But the basic idea here is, We've all been given gifts. We've all been, you know, been brought into this body. And the reason we have is that 
when we're each working properly, working together, even with our differences. You see that in verse 16? When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And we see there even in verse 15 that the proper way to be building itself up in love, at least in part, is speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. This is whatever we say and do should be based on the truth of God's word. Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So it says they're speaking the truth. This is speaking things that are based on God's word. It doesn't mean you're quoting verses to them necessarily, but based on God's word. But this is also done in love. You have some people who take this verse, by the way, it's actually a stretch to use this of like, well, I was just speaking the truth in love. Some people really love to use that. That's not even what this is talking about here. I, w- I was just speaking the truth. You know, it's like the truth here isn't always talking or even usually talking about hard truths. Where We don't see that. Speaking hard truths in love. That's not what, that, what that's talking about. Is it true that we should say hard words in love? Yes, but that's not even what it's talking about here necessarily. But, let me just say, just, just for, for the record, even if we are saying hard truths, it is to be done in love. Or, again, we go back to those seven reasons why disunity is bad. We're, we're missing it. We're, we're, we're doing those things if we're speaking only the hard truth, but not in love. You can think of 1 Corinthians uh, 13, verses 1 through 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love... I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have, sorry, if I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body up to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Remember how I said you can serve in the church? I can serve in this church and, and, and it still be uh, disunifying. It can still be all about me. We can speak the truth to one another and if it's not done in love, then it's nothing. We gain nothing. The church gains nothing. What we really need is that each part, each person, each part of God's body, Christ's body, is working properly so that it makes the body grow, so that it builds itself up in love. There's, there's so much here. When we come to church with this idea of it's the church of me, I'm coming to serve myself even if I'm serving in a position, it's really about me gaining something, there's going to be disunity. We saw that. We want, we covet something, we desire something, and so quarrels and fights follow. But how different would things be if every time we set foot in the church, if every time we spoke or interacted with another believer, we thought, you know what? My purpose is to build them up. God has given me gifts. God has given me truth. God has given me words. And the reason I have been given those things is to build that brother or that sister up in love. To build them up. To build them up. I I don't know exactly what this 
is always going to look like in your life with your particular gifting, but if you've been made a part of Christ's body, then you've been given gifts, and those gifts are meant to build up the body, that is, other people, other Christians around you. So what if instead of coming to church saying, well, I just want to enjoy my friends, and if someone gets in the way of that, there's going to be disunity. I, I want things to go my way. What if instead of that, we came to church to say, I wonder how I can build up my brother. I wonder how I can build up my sisters in Christ. I wonder what kind word I could say. I wonder what kind deed I could do. I wonder what timely piece of truth I could give that would help them in need and build them up. I can give you guys an example of this. This is probably one of the most uh, biggest examples that stand out in my life. I've already told this before, so I hope it's okay, Hallie. So our first pregnancy, we don't have that child. It was a miscarriage, okay? So Hallie gets pregnant. We're going through the pregnancy, not super long. Um, then we went to the doctor suspecting that the child had been lost. And I remember the doctor, he, uh, he was a Christian man. And uh, he, he does, I guess, the, the ultrasound and says, yeah, y you're right that you did lose the child. And without missing a beat, he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And Hallie and I were just like, I was not ready for that. I was ready to be sad about this. I was ready to, you know, go into my little pit of despair for a little while. He said, be anxious about nothing. Give it to God. Seek him, and he will give you the peace that you need. That was the most timely piece of truth I can ever remember um, someone, someone giving. He, he wasn't looking to receive from us. He was looking to give in that moment. I bet it was super awkward to say that for him. I bet it was to, when he's just told us we've lost a child, that, that now he's going to give us a biblical command not to be anxious. Do not. <laughs> be anxious for nothing. He, he was looking to give to us. It was beautiful, and that's what we should be doing to one another. And my point is, once again, instead of this consumer mentality, no matter how much religious trappings we put on it, no matter how much we've clothed it in service, when we have this consumer mentality, there will be conflict, there will be disunity. But if we can come into church, husbands, if we can come home from work to our Christian wives and our Christian children, People, when you, you meet with other Christians in your small group, if we could each and every time say, God has brought me into this body, which they are a part of as well, to build them up, how much different would it be? How much more willing would we be to lay down our preferences? How much more willing would we be to say, what they said was a little offensive, but instead of kicking back, right, giving reviling for reviling, you know, um, Jesus says, turn the other cheek even to your enemy, but somehow in church, <laughs> we feel like we should fight back. Um, instead of that, wouldn't we just say, you know what? I, I can bear with that for the moment. Maybe I need to confront them about it at some point, but even when I do that, I'm going to do it in love, looking to restore, looking to build up. How much different would we be if we realized our place in the church? Now, let me bring this back. What does that have to do with humility and pride and unity? Again, it is proud to think Christ died for this church so that I could walk in it and serve, and it, be, and it served me. 
It's so interesting, right? We're, we're to be made into the image of Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. We might say, guess what Christ came to this world to do? Not to be served, but to serve and to give himself, his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was a servant, and yet for some reason we feel like we should be served. That is the height of pride. It really is. I, I see it in my own heart. I know of times that I have done this, that I have sought to, to, to receive from other people, to use other people, even within the church. And that is sin. That is pride. But again, humility, on the other hand, says, this church is not about me. This church is about the glory of God in the person of Christ Jesus, of which the people around me are a part of his body. I'm to take care of them. I'm to build them up. I'm to love them. I'm to speak the truth in love. I'm to have peace with them, to seek, to be eager for unity with them. I have a purpose. You have a purpose today when you come into church? You do. You do. I, I ask that question rhetorically because we've just looked at the answer. You have a purpose when you're around other believers, and it is to build them up. To do anything else is, is to go against our God-given purpose. It's pride. I want us to remember once again, I, I am not asking any of us to do something uh, impossible. I'm asking you to do something that Christ died to accomplish, this unity. It is an objective reality that this unity exists, that within this body, within your family, within your small group, you are able to have unity. Christ died for it. Not only did Christ die to purchase it, Christ died to change you, to make you able to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, which is uh, verse 4-1 there. This is all done through Christ. And so I, again, this is similar to last week, I want to invite you uh, with me to, to, to go to Christ with these things. Say, God, I have, I've been walking in pride. I've been doing your church for myself. God, I've been neglecting the gifts you've given me. I've been neglecting the purpose you've given me for having those. I have not been building up others around me. I've been tearing down even at times. And that's when we repent. We repent of that. God, forgive me. We confess our sins. And then I would ask that in that same prayer, you say, God, show me the people around me. Let me see the opportunities that I have to build them up. I think again of... Uh, Verse 4, 9, it just straight up says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. God, anytime I want to say something that would tear down, that would be corrupting talk, God, don't let it come out of my mouth. God, don't let it come out of my mouth. Let everything I say be only good for upbuilding This is my prayer for myself. This is my prayer for all of you, for our church, for your families, that we could have this unity because it is so important. Let's pray. Father God, I praise you for sending your son to die. God, I praise you for 
purchasing unity for all believers. But God, I repent even of my own actions, the times that I walk in pride, the times that I make church about me, the times that I come to be served rather than to serve by the power that you supply, God. God, I pray that you would help me and and all of us recognize that you have given us gifts. None of us, none of us are second-class Christians, and all of us are meant to serve the church with these gifts, namely by building up one another. God, help us to realize that. Help us to realize that. Help us to be humbled by that fact that we may have for so long now been neglecting the gifts you've given us, that we may have for so long now been neglecting the purpose you have given us for being a part of this body. God, we want you to be glorified in this world. We want you to be glorified among believers. We want you to be glorified in our own hearts. God, we recognize that that starts with humility, seeing ourselves rightly, seeing you rightly, and what you've done for us rightly. God, change us and unify us. Pray all this in your son's name. Amen.